Psalms 107.2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so and tell their story. The Say So podcast shares the gospel message as told by everyday ordinary people. Hi, I am Jeannie and you are listening to the Say So podcast. Together, we're proving through conversation what can only be done by the power of salvation. Welcome to the Say So with Jeannie podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Terry. Today, I get a rare once-in-a-life opportunity to not only talk to someone who wrote a world-famous song, but while also at the same time, I get to introduce her to you. I first heard my guest song about 20 years ago in my early Christian walk, and the impact and connection that I've had with this song is even deeper and truer today than it was 20 years ago because my relationship and my connection with God has deepened, and this song carries more meaning today than it ever has. I have to tell you, I am a student in theology, and recently, during one of my theology classes, my instructor and worship leader, Chris Johnson, sang her song, and I was immediately taken back to 20 years ago when I had first heard the song, when I had first started learning it for myself and singing it on my own and a rush of emotions just came over me and it took me back to a time when when I was new in Christianity when I knew when I was just so immature in the word and immature in God and and this song just brought me through and I didn't want this memory to end so I did a quick internet search of the song I found out who wrote it I looked her up I found her website and contacted her there asking her if she would to me the honor of being on the podcast. And she actually said, yes. <laughs> she wrote the song in 1976. And from an article written by Nathan Merrick, he says the lyrics are some of the most widely recorded in all of contemporary Christian worship, having been covered at least 70 times by the year 2000. So that's 20 years ago. It's probably been covered probably 70 more times. And beyond that, the lyrics are some of the most sung by believers all over the world. The song appears in more than 25 hymnals, and her song can also be found in hymnary.org. So without further ado, it is both my honor and pleasure to introduce you to writer, musician, and artist, Lori Klein. Lori, welcome to the Say So podcast. Thank you, Jeannie. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I am so glad that you're glad to be here. I just have goosebumps. <laughs> Before I uh, got on, on the Zoom call with you, I was literally doing jumping jacks and just trying to shake all the jitters out because of uh, just how, how remarkable it is that I get this opportunity to, to meet you and, and talk to you about your song and your life. I'm just so honored. So thank you so much, Lori. Oh, you're welcome. I'm excited too that I get to talk with you, but also with listeners I may never meet this side of heaven. So it's a win-win all the way around. Well, that's good. And this is your first podcast, is that correct? <laughs> yes, it is. I am so glad that um, I get to be your first. This is an, an a, another honor, just another honor. Um, so we have not even told the listeners what 
praise chorus or song we're talking about, I won't, I promise I'm not going to ask you to sing it, but can you just tell us the name of it? I love you, Lord. Mm, I want to sing it. Can I? I, I don't have a good voice, but I want to, I just, I want to sing oh, please it. Please do. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm just going to do it. Okay. Go ahead, Jeannie. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. How was that? Thank you. I'm blessed. I started harmonizing and then I thought, no, this is an opportunity to just drink this in. Oh my God. Has anyone ever sung your song to you? Um, well, I've been in rooms where I've heard it, but I've never had anyone on a podcast. Through. That's awesome. I, uh, I don't have any vocal background, obviously. Um, anyone who heard that can tell, but I'm just, again, this was, go ahead. But we're all a sweet, sweet sound in God's ear. Oh, that's good. No matter what our voice sounds like. And do you know, I didn't want to sing today because I'm unhappy with how my voice has aged. And even last night, I could feel the Lord saying to me, yes, your voice has changed, but it's still a sweet, sweet sound to me. Mm, that's good. So do you want to sing? Not really. <laughs> All right. I promised I wouldn't make you. So awesome. And just to think of, of how many people, and I did a search to, to try to find as many covers as I could, and there's some really good covers. So I love how everyone has put their own sweet sound on the original that you created. Yes, and they've done it in so many styles of music. And I just, I, if I could just insert this, um, my favorite version I've ever heard is the Pigeon English version, where the first line, rather than I love you, Lord, is me like em you, Papa God. Aw. Is that a delight or what? That is. Is that on, is that on the internet? Is that something I, I don't can know make? that it's been uh, recorded anywhere, but um, friends I knew who had worked in, um, in other nations as missionaries brought that back for me. I don't remember the full translation, but I never forgot the first line. Me like them, you, Papa God. Me like them, you, Papa God. That's so endearing. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Lori, I know that this praise chorus, as it's uh, referred to, came out of a very dark place for you in your past. Um, but before we get into that amazing story, I just want to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been married to the love of my life, Bill Klein, for 47 years. We have two daughters. They live close by with our four grandchildren. We have an elderly Labrador named Uncle Tanner. Um, we live in the country uh, in a cedar house. It's surrounded by pine trees. And those pine trees, which are so magnificent, are uh, absolutely beset by onslaughts of evil bark beetles. And every time I go out jogging, which is pretty much every day, I'm aware that God is giving me an example of how to be a believer. 
I look at those pine trees resisting those beetles and I think, mm. send your roots deep, gather in all the light you can, drink in the rain, and then stand. Stand mm. in the strength of God, no matter what bugs you, no matter what comes against you. Literally. I like that. So those bark beetles are pretty uh, invasive, intrusive on that on the bark of those trees. We have taken down um, dozens and dozens and dozens of trees, and more of them are still dying. It is heartbreaking. Mm. But I like that you, that all of creation can speak his name and can, we can learn something yes. from yeah. even, uh, even a pine tree. Well, congratulations on 47 years of marriage. <laughs> Thank you. 47. My husband and I have been married 10 years, so we only have 37 more years to go wow. to catch up. <laughs> oh, but the first 10, that's a marvel. Right. Something to be proud of, right? Absolutely. I've heard, um, I think his name is Paul Tripp. Uh, he's saying that marriage is a workroom. Oh. And that uh, the goal in marriage is not to be happy. It's to be holy. Mm. Mm. That's what do you think? What do you think of that? I don't think I'm holy yet. I think I need 50 more years with this man. I hope I get at least 20 more. Oh, <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. So uh, can you take us back to the beginning, such as like where you were born, how you were, like how, what was growing up? What was childhood like for you? I want to hear about that. And then I want to get into your salvation story. Oh, um, I was born in Watertown, Wisconsin. That's in the southeastern part of the state near Milwaukee. Um, allegedly, I'm the most bull-legged baby the hospital had ever seen. Um, allegedly. <laughs> uh, my parents moved to Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, another little town near Milwaukee. Um, five O's, O-C-O-N-O-M-O-W-O-C. Try learning that when you're a first grader. Mm. Um, <laughs> we lived in a big old brick house on a very small lake. And that house, because of my mother and her free spirit, had the brightest turquoise front door you could ever imagine, probably on the planet. And um, I was so embarrassed by that front door. So I spent a lot of time out back uh, on the water whenever I could. My, my um, genius kid brother, when he was maybe 11 or 12, designed and built a wooden kayak for me. Wow. And I spent hours paddling around the lake, paddling up the river, past the cemetery, through the lily pads, and oftentimes singing. So great. I have a few questions. Why were you, what embarrassed you about the turquoise door? Did nobody else have a turquoise door? Was it like loud nope. and just flagrant? Flagrant. Yes, <laughs> okay. it was a flagrant turquoise door. And I was a firstborn kid who wanted to, who just wanted everything to be normal and right. not yeah. unexpected in any way. Okay. I didn't want to be noticed. Okay. And a front door like that, everybody notices. They actually, somebody wrote a book about doorways of Oconomowoc and our front door made the cover. <laughs> Do you think it would have made the cover had it not been turquoise though? I don't know. <laughs> so wait, you're, so, okay. So then your kid brother, designs and builds you a wooden kayak just for you yeah. nobody else this is yours glory just for me yeah it wasn't a kit he designed it he was a genius 
Well, what a great gift. Did you yeah. say, hey, brother, can you do this for me? Or he was like, you need a boat. I don't remember. <laughs> I hope it was the latter. <laughs> that is... He's Jesus now. Okay. All right. Yep. So let is, let's go on to your salvation story. Tell us about that. Well, I was a church kid. And um, in the Lutheran church, when you're a preteen, you go to confirmation classes for a couple of years. And then you are asked publicly the big questions of faith. And if you get them right, then you take your first communion. And I know I said I was the kid that didn't want to be noticed, but I made a few shockwaves, I guess, uh, because I wasn't sure I wanted to say yes. I, I saw a lot of pain in my home, and my parents were deeply involved in the church. My dad was chairman of the church board. My mom did the flowers. Um, they hosted events for the church. And so I, I wasn't sure about answering those questions. But my mom had already sewed the white dress. She'd already bought my first nylons, my first heels. I guess vanity won out. I wanted to wear those high heels. So I said yes, and I was confirmed. Um, but looking back, and this is hindsight, I think I was just leaning on the faith of my parents. Mm -hmm. And that faith was not yet my own. And my parents' faith was proving to be shakier and shakier because their marriage was imploding. Mm. And I thought, so where's God? Why doesn't God intervene? Right. I mean, they've given their lives to serving the church. Why, why, why? Right. Isn't God fixing this and praying and not seeing any change? In fact, seeing things worsen. And by now I'm a teenager and I'm going on dates and of all the places for God to reach me, a parked car at the end of a street near midnight, I'm with my boyfriend. And um, honestly, all I can talk about is, do you think God's real? I don't think God's real because look what's happening to my parents. And I admitted to him how I would play them off each other to try to get my way, and they were always fighting about me. So obviously, their trouble must be my fault. Hmm. And that young man, 17 years old, God bless him, he took my face in his hands and he said, no. You are an expression of your parents' love. That will never change. No matter what they decide about the marriage, about the family, what doesn't change is you're an expression of their love. Wow. And, you know, by that time, I'm crying. He, he never did get his kiss. He <laughs> took me home. Um, he took me home and I stumbled through that bright turquoise front door and into the hallway. I'd made it before curfew. Everybody was in bed. Um, I knelt down in the hallway by the closets and the galoshes and the boots. And I just poured my heart out to God. And I told my pain and I told my guilt and how hard it was for me to believe God was real. And I, it just was miraculous. I, I just felt filled to the brim. I felt drenched with love. 
if I had to compare it to something, now I've never experienced this, but it would be maybe equivalent to having your veins just fizzing with joy, like you were mainlining chilled champagne, bubbles everywhere. <laughs> just such joy, such joy. And that was a really wonderful gift because not that long afterwards, my parents did divorce. And um, that turquoise front door was closing for mm. the last time. What an amazing gift, though, you're talking about because here you are confiding in your boyfriend at the time that you're the reason they're getting divorced. Yeah. And he says, no, that's not true. You're, no matter what happens, you're an expression of God's love. So this sounds like in a deep moment, you fall on your face behind that turquoise door and you're admitting to God, this is how I feel. And, but then after you did that, it was almost like this joy, like you're saying, like fizzling, fizzing bubbles everywhere. Like, it's just amazing that in such darkness and despair, once again, your your tears and your cries are answered and in the grief there is joy not only that god is taking the words of my boyfriend and then saying i'm an expression of god's love hmm. oh yeah not just their love truly yeah. is god's love yeah mm. that's so good so good so it is time i think to get to know how this song came into being, because it's another dark time. Can you share it? And I mean all of it, please. I like details, so please don't spare a detail. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I mentioned I loved boats when I was a kid. And um, I think I Love You, Lord, that song arrived for me at an all-time dark stage and it came like a, a little heaven-sent ark to rescue me i was in i was in rough waters um bill and i had been married a couple years we were living in bend oregon um that's low desert countryside uh blowing dust acres mm. of sagebrush bill enrolled in forestry school and boy he kept long hours um, he set up a desk in the closet of our mobile home because it was the only place he could get away to study. And he was just memorizing Latin words that were each eight syllables long. Um, he was working so hard. I kept the light on in the window for him. We had one daughter then. Mm -hmm. He was just learning to walk. And, um, you know, spiritually, this is just a couple years after giving my life to the Lord in the hallway, I'm learning to walk too. Mm. And um, it's hard to believe now, but we lived on $400 a month. Our rent was $150. Wow. And that was, that was what we had to work with. Um, I didn't work. We didn't have any friends in that community. We didn't have a church home. Obviously, yeah. we didn't have any extra money. Our family was back in the Midwest. We're out in Washington State. I didn't even have a driver's license. I'd let it lapse. <laughs> and um, so I'm really stranded out here in the literal low desert of Oregon. There's no internet back then. There's no cell phones. There's no mm -hmm. way 
to Zoom with anybody. No. Um, we live off a main highway. And so that means I can't go jogging. And I can't take the baby out in a stroller. So um, what did you do? Well, for exercise, do you mean? For well, just getting out, could you not leave the motorhome? Well, mobile home when at my all, husband or? was home, we could drive to Bymart where we'd get our groceries. I could walk um, down the little dirt road. There was a place that sold um, distressed vegetables. It was just a little ma and pa thing, and they would get marked down stuff from the grocery stores. I could walk that far, which was maybe a block with the stroller, and then beyond that is the highway. So that was it for outings, going to buy Mart at night with my husband and baby and, you know, where for 49 cents, you could buy a little four inch green plant. So you'd have something else alive to talk to in the house. <laughs> Does this sound bleak? It was bleak. Um, we did Wait, have a few neighbors. I'm Go just ahead. curious, what, ha what brought you to Bend, Oregon? He wanted to take forestry, forestry school? school. Okay. He okay. wanted to be, uh, he wanted to work. Uh, for the national parks was his hope. Okay, and so you were like, "Yeah, sign me up. Let's go. Let's let's leave our family. I have we have a young daughter. This sounds amazing. We're gonna live on a highway. Yeah, let's go. Is that how that worked out? That's how that pretty much worked. Yeah, I was still a young bride, <laughs> eager to please, eager to please. <laughs> okay, I will say one thing I held to was getting up before the baby every morning. Um, because I know the life is with relationship. Mm -hmm. I, I know spending time at the feet of Jesus is gonna be what gets me through, but the trouble is that the weeks go by and then the months go by and I'm not hearing anything from heaven. It's feeling very silent. It's feeling like maybe God is uh, long gone. Mm. And um, I continue to get up in the morning, but. I'll tell you, the morning the song came, I was sitting uh, in the living room, baby's asleep, I've got my Bible, I've got my guitar, but I'm not playing. I'm not even praying. Um, I'm just, not just sitting, because I'm so empty. I don't have anything to offer God. Much as I love God, I have nothing to offer him. But I did pray, and it was something like this. Uh, Father, if you want to hear me sing, would you just give me something you'd like to hear? Mm. And so I picked up my guitar, and I started strumming it, and um, the first notes, the first words, they just bubbled out. There's those bubbles again, right. <laughs> God meeting you in the dire place of need and sending a little champagne. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I, it was there. I sang it, and um, I wasn't sure I could even remember it. But, you know, when you feel spent when you feel raw and thirsty and bone lonely and a little tune falls off the altar of heaven, just a line or two, falls off the altar of heaven and it comes towards you like an ark, like it could carry you somewhere. Mm. Um, 
Mm. You want to make a safe haven for that. You want to you want to anchor that in your soul. So I grabbed a piece of paper and I wrote down what I had just sung. I wrote down the chords as I remembered them, but I wasn't sure I could sing it again. Mm. Uh, but I did. It was still there, <laughs> and not only was it still there intact within me, but the next two lines flowed almost as easily, a, a lot like being in my kayak on the river. It's just easy and tranquil. Uh, there it was. It was a gift. It just wrote itself. It's so beautiful. I've, uh, you know, you hear in the Bible where it says, God will give you the desires of your heart. He also gives you the words to sing when you can't, when you don't know what to sing. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. So, so you, you, you sing you have this, these words, you're strumming your guitar. At what point are you like, you know, this is, I'm going to continue to sing this. I'm going to share this with someone. Did you, did you, who'd you share it with first? And did it like inspire hope in this dark place? What, what did it do at the time? Did you, did you ever think that it would be this worldwide release? Really oh, good heavens. No. I, I didn't intend to sing it for anyone. It was so intimate in that moment. It was once again, God saying to me, you're an expression of my love mm. and it's coming forth through you right now. And um, I thought, I didn't think of it as anything that would go anywhere. I sang it for my husband because it had encouraged me so much. It had felt like God had been so silent for so long and that I'd been waiting and waiting. And then it felt like he had met me and given me this gift. So I sang it for my husband. And- um, Did you sing it that night when he came home? I believe I did, okay. yes. Yes, after the baby went to bed. Oh, did and, you sing uh, it for your daughter when she was awake? Or was this all when she was napping? She was still asleep. Okay. She was still asleep, God bless her. Yeah. Um, she used to go to sleep with piles of books in her bed. And she is a reader to this day. I sang it for my husband. Um, he really, he's a musician. He, okay. he loved it. And um, a couple weeks later, we had, um, we had worked as praise and worship leaders in a church in Medford, Oregon, prior to moving to Bend. And our old pastor came to visit us because he had heard how discouraged we were. Oh. And I made something for dinner from the distressed vegetables down the road. And um, probably it was cream of broccoli soup. We ate very low on the food chain in those days. And Bill said to me, um, sing that song for Gary. Gary was a musician also. So I did, you know, because he was my pastor and I loved him. Well, unbeknownst to us, Gary um, was a four-square pastor, and he, not too long afterward, attended the International Convention of the Four-Square Denomination. And he was a close friend of Jack Hayford, who was a very influential person in that movement. And he sang the song for Jack, and... Um, they agreed Gary should share it with all these pastors and their wives and their staff people who had come to the convention. It became the theme song of the convention. It went home with people 
to their countries. Some had come internationally from other nations. Um, Bill and I know nothing about this happening. The first we know, I, I don't believe Gary even called to tell us that it happened. The first we know is we get a phone call from um, Annie Herring of, of um, Second Chapter of Acts, um, very influential trio of siblings back in the 70s, 80s. Um, they want to know who owns the rights to the song because they would like to put it on their album, Kids for the Kingdom. And my husband has the presence of mind to say, well, we do, but we hadn't copyrighted it. Um, that was what he started as soon as he hung up the phone. <laughs> he found out how to do that. And how do you copyright in 1976? Oh, back then you had to write out the music and you had to have hard copy. And then you send it to the Library of Con Congress with the registration and the fee. Yeah, via regular mail, I'm sure. Mail, mail, yeah. yes. Wow. So you, so this has become the theme song of a convention you know nothing of. You get a call. Uh, who has the the rights to this? I do. Then what happens next? Then you're starting well, to hear they, like they do record it on that album, and. Um, Maranatha Music um, becomes aware of the song because the song just, it's like God just took the song and kissed it and went, wah, and, and just sent it places, sent it to people, I guess, who needed to hear it and sing it and uh, maybe feel a few bubbles in their own bloodstream of God's presence. Um, I'm sorry, I lost the thread of the question. I took a rabbit trail there. That's okay. Um, we were um, just talking about how it went from you just oh. get getting into this notoriety. Yeah. Oh, here's an example. Um, by this time, a couple of years later, we had moved to Spokane, Washington. My husband is doing a coffee house for um, a, a church in the community, and he's the main act and the warm up group. Um, gets on stage and they say, hey, we have this great song we want to teach you. We've learned it from these brothers from Indonesia. <laughs> I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Indonesia! <laughs> and Bill has to follow that and say, as a matter of fact, my wife wrote that. It just, you know, it, stories like that. It was just a grassroots thing. Um, it was, it's such a lovely um, surprise because in our culture, we so think we have to do all the marketing hoops, all the hype, all the promotion. Those were all tools that God can use. But sometimes God goes through the back door. I don't know if it's turquoise, but he goes <laughs> through the back door and he does something that spreads like wildfire. Who knows why? That's so amazing so amazing you've had a few times too where you've uh, kind of stumbled upon people singing your song and they unbeknownst to you being there can you tell us about that yes. uh, we were at a national park i can't remember now which one it was we're at a scenic overlook i think it's waterfalls or a big chasm canyon something magnificent and i'm you know i'm leaning on the railing and i'm just trying to drink it all in and i hear someone um peripheral vision, I can see there's someone over here, and I hear 
humming or whistling. No, it was whistling and it's I love you, Lord. And I'm thinking, no. And I just kind of freeze and then I slowly turn and this person, it's a stranger. I've never met him in my life. And he's looking right at me and grinning and saying, I thought you might recognize that song. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, today maybe I'd worry, oh, it's a stalker, but here's this lovely brother in the Lord who recognized me from somewhere. I don't know. I don't know how he knew me. My husband and I traveled a lot and led worship in a lot of places. So maybe he had worshiped with us somewhere. So there I am, you know, in the middle of God's wildly beautiful creation. And there's the song. Out in the middle of nowhere. So amazing. Um, okay, wait a minute. You and your husband were worship le- traveling worship leaders? We did that for about 30 years. Wow. I did not, I mean, not that I know much about you, but I did not know that about you. Can you tell me about that? Well, we did mostly things in the West, Western United States, a little bit back back east. Um, we liked to go to the really small churches that couldn't afford um, the big name people. We loved to go to little towns in Montana and lead worship. And um, we, um, uh, for a while, we homeschooled the kids on the road as we did it. But that that was too many hats for me to wear. We'd stay in people's homes and, mm-hmm. and um, so I kind of retired from being on the road with him and kept the light on in the window once again for him. Um, but and and then we served in a number of different churches here in the Spokane, Washington area. And so he's a musician, and you play guitar. Do you play other instruments as well? I don't play anything anymore. My arthritis is so bad I can't play anymore. Hmm. Um, how did you learn to play guitar? I learned in high school on a bus with the Luther Leaguers going to a teenage convention. And there was a gal on the bus who had a guitar and she taught me three chords and uh, it was a steel string guitar. And I'll tell you my fingertips, by the time we got to Dallas, Texas from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, my fingertips were almost bloody, but I learned in high school to play the guitar. That is amazing. What a cool story. I want to, I want to know, um, you had another story about a woman who was singing and you were outside of her room and she didn't know you were out there. Tell us about that one. When we were 50, my husband and I, um, went to Montana yet again to be part of a discipleship training, uh, school, uh, not as leaders, as students, And we lived in a dormitory, which I got to tell you, at age 50, living in a dormitory with a whole lot of people um, in their teens and early 20s is uh, very expanding for the spirit and the prayer life. Anyway, uh, you could hear everything. It was an old army barracks, so there's no, there's very little insulation. And um, I was awakened one night by crying. Um, there was a, a very young family with a baby at the end of the hallway, and that baby just kept sobbing and sobbing. And so I pulled on my rope and padded down the hallway in my slippers. And um, I didn't knock. I didn't want to disturb them. I didn't really know them. I just laid my hand on the door I, and prayed for the baby. 
like any mom would do. Mm. And um, as I was praying, um, and you know, the baby is doing that hiccuping kind of crying where they're just mm -hmm. gasping for breath. The mom starts singing and she starts singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. Mm. And that little baby hushed mm. and she kept singing and I kept praying mm. and um, I just once again the Lord saying see wherever you are you're an expression of my love you can be in a dormitory at midnight outside a stranger's door praying and I'm still I'm still interested in flowing through you to others mm -hmm. so I, did I, the did the young mom know i was there no i never told her did she know i had written the song when i was a young mom no i never told her wow i feel like part of you would have like just prodded the door open hey i sung that i said do you want me to sing help you out help that baby <laughs> but but apparently that mom had it under control and i think the holy spirit definitely was was totally tapping into that moment and mm. i mean it must just i can't imagine what happens to your heart i guess that's the bubbles and the fizzes again come out when you're just like oh, i could just see you maybe leaning on that door just be like god you're you are here like you are here even when you know maybe that mom in that room who knows what she was thinking before she she decided to sing yeah. your song yeah that's so beautiful. Lori, um, you, um, you wrote an article that's called Tulips in the Desert, and you mentioned the scripture, and it's called Hosea 2, 14b to 15a, and it says, I will lead her into the desert and will make the valley of Achor trouble, a door of hope. There she will sing. Can we talk about this scripture and what it means to you, please? Oh, yeah. Well, you already know I have a thing about doors <laughs> <laughs> and doors of hope. They're the best. Uh, and you know, you know how shattered and desolate I was living in the desert, the literal low desert climate of, of Oregon. But what I haven't mentioned is that when Hosea describes God as leading her into the desert, it, it also says, I will now allure her. I will lead her into the desert and I will speak tenderly to her. Mm. So, you know, at first that just takes you aback. Lord, you're going to lead me into the wasteland. I mean, that's a shock that shakes you. And we're supposed to sing. Mm -hmm. That just is so counter to everything the human feels in mm. those yeah. circumstances. But, you know, there's something about waiting on God to reveal presence with you, wherein singing, and when I say sing, I, I mean to worship. I mean being in relationship. Yeah, maybe you sing, maybe you play an instrument, maybe you write, maybe you build things really well. There's, a, there's as many ways to sing to God, to worship God, and be a sweet sound in his ear as there are people on the planet. Mm -hmm. So 
I think often we get led into those wasteland places where we are desperate for a tender word. And if the tender word is, you are an expression of my love, child, then that's a tenderness that takes down every, every defense you might put up against the world, others, God. It disarms you utterly. And it makes you God's utterly. Mm, I I love that. You uh it's it's you know, God leading us into the desert, which is making us desperate, which disarms us from maybe not leaning on him as if as if we were not in the desert. We would have too many distractions and have our confidence and faith perhaps in in the distractions and whatever's going on. And sometimes he needs to strip us down of, of that and bring us into the wasteland so we can just be with him and he can remind us that we are his expression of love. Hmm. That's so good. Well said. well said. Well, you said it. I was just repeating it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have to ask you um, in the beginning, I told you about my um, pastor and worship leader, Chris Johnson. He's the one who just took me back to my humble beginnings um, with this song. And so he has some questions. um, And if you're okay with that, I'd like to ask you, he has three questions for you. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Who are your, uh, who are some of your favorite songwriters? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, Partly because my memory's not so good and I don't remember names, but I do love some of the old hymns, um, mm-hmm. Be Thou My Vision, Of the Father's Love Begotten, Beautiful Savior. Those songs from my childhood stay with me. I have friends that have written songs um, that I love. Um, one friend named Kathy Cavender wrote a song. I don't think it's ever been published, but um, I have sung it again and again and again. So sometimes songs come to you privately. Um, I will confess that um, I don't keep up with the latest songwriters, um, partly because I don't sing much anymore. I'm feeling very much uh, corrected gently, tenderly by God last night that my voice is still a sweet sound to him. So I, I tell Chris, I, I mean to look into who the new people are who are writing. <laughs> but for now, I, I would say um, there are collaborations between my worship pastor, Ben Brody, and Sylvia Dunstan that I absolutely adore. Don't ask me titles. I won't be able to pull them <laughs> up on short notice. But um, yes, I need to reacquaint myself um, or acquaint myself with new things that are out there mm-hmm. and remind myself I'm still a sweet sound in his ear. I love it. And I'm just so thankful that you did sing a few minutes ago back there. That was <laughs> awesome. I was like, oh, let me let me be quiet. Let let her go. Let her do her thing. I want to hear. It. And you have a beautiful voice. So I'm so glad that you're listening to the um, well, subtle nudges that God gave you last night. So thank you for that. All right. So what second question from Chris, what advice do you have for Christian songwriters, especially those who feel especially called to write songs for the church to sing in gathered worship? I don't consider myself a songwriter or a mentor in any way, but 
But this I know from experience, that what proves to be potent in this world, what proves to be moving and lasting, ripples out from relationship with God, time spent in the presence of God. I, go ahead, songwriters who are listening, acquire the excellent training you can um, as God directs you, but, but don't be afraid to write from the, the anguish, the anger, uh, the, the exaltation you feel in your own heart. Write it all. Write all the things you feel. Um, compose because you must. Mm -hmm. uh, sing first and foremost for an audience of one. Yeah. And from there, leave it to God. You know, maybe he'll send you an ark. Maybe he'll open a door. It's like the Psalms, right? Aren't those most out of, a lot of them are out of anguish and deep yes. um, despair. Yes. I like that. All right. And then what songs does the church need to be singing to God in the church today? Oh, I was happy for this question. Because uh, I... This is fanciful, I know, but I imagine the Lord wanting more Valentines from us. Um, songs, that, songs that have a fizz and a glow of devotion. Um, lyrics that embody our deep, deep feelings, our honest feelings, not just the way we dress ourselves up for, to look like we're together. Um, and I hope... I really hope that more songwriters will compose laments um, that not only do we praise, but that there, are, there aren't very many laments available to us in the canon of worship music. And there is so much searing pain and inequity in our world right now that divides nations and races and families and I think one, uh, the more I read about it, the more I try to educate myself about this and understanding how privileged a life I've led, the more I try to understand um, what does God's love look like and being an expression of that love look like now, the more I believe that individually first, but perhaps corporately as well, there is a place for lamenting um, the ways in which there are people in the world who don't feel part, who don't feel welcome, who mm -hmm. don't feel equal. Um, I would love to see some of that beginning individually and rippling outward into the church so that there is uh, lament and sorrow as well as praise and devotion and pledges of how we want to live our lives for. God. That's beautiful. And I think what you're saying also strikes a chord with me about um, people who don't feel welcome or accepted or they feel excluded. And I think sometimes organizations, including churches, can do a fine job at excluding people. And I'm really thankful that we have a church that's all inclusive and meets people right where they're at. And that's exactly what Jesus did and continues to do through day um, he continues to do today is <clears throat> welcome uh, and include. He's all inclusive. He doesn't exclude. I love it. So true. Such good advice, Lori. So what are you working on now? How, what, 
what do you, I know you have a, a, a website, but I would like to hear from you. What, what are you working on now? What is your heart's desire and how can people learn more about you? Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, There's a musician I collaborate with uh, every so often. Uh, His name is Brian Bogue. He's just a stellar musician and composer. And we have been working on a song that is um, both a pledge and a plea for deeper understanding between people, for reconciliation between people. So that's in the works, um, very much a work in progress. Uh, my husband Bill and I are preparing uh, to go into, uh, we have a recording studio in our basement and um, we'll be doing a, a series, a spoken word series I've titled Moonstruck. And it's a series of poems by other poets um, paired with writing prompts. Um, and I'll be recording those for Tweet Speak Poetry, which is a fabulous um, small press poetry, well, poetry and nonfiction and fiction, and they have a wonderful website. Most days I'm writing, Jeannie. I'm writing cards to friends because we're all stuck at home, and uh, I'm writing poems and meditations and blog posts and essays and lists and recording scripts, so I love to write. That's how I sing these days. Wow. You are, you are so productive. I love that you are still in the word and still um, using your words to inspire others and to, to spend your days doing what, what is on your heart. That's amazing. Um, I, I want to come to the basement. Can I, can I come? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you have a recording studio in your basement. That we do. So cool. Yeah. We recorded a few albums in there. Um, that's we don't do that anymore, but we do do some spoken word things. Oh, wow. I've got some poetry. Maybe I can send it your way and you can, uh, I don't know. Please do. I love that stuff. I love writing and I love to write. Um, do you? Mm-hmm. I do. Kindred spirits. And um, there, there could be a future here. I'll send, you, I'll send some stuff your way. All right. Um, and so, oh, could you tell us what, uh, either I could just put a link in um, the show notes about your website blog, or if you wanted to, if it's easy enough to, to say it, we could say that and maybe your Facebook um, handle as well. Sure. I'm just Lori Klein on Facebook, L-A-U-R-I-E-K-L-E-I-N, like the famous Calvin Klein. Um, <laughs> And my my website is lauriekleinscribe.com. Very good. And I will put the links into um, the show notes as well for any anyone that would like to. Thank you. I'm always happy to. Uh, I only blog once a month. Um, so uh, if you uh, anyone listening has the urge to subscribe and try it out, welcome. Yeah, I would highly recommend that. We also need to mention your book. We didn't talk about that. Oh, uh, I did write a book. Uh, it took me 20 years to write. It's, uh, it's a book. It's a collection of poetry. I have a chapbook also, um, but it's out of print now. Um, the collection is called Where the Sky Opens. And that's available on Amazon or at Wiffenstock, W-I-P-F, ampersand, S-T-O-C-K. That's my publisher. 
All right, great. I'm going to include that too. Um, I have, I think, hopefully one last question for you. Right. Um, you had mentioned when you were younger that you were leaning on your parents' faith for a relationship with God. What would you recommend to someone who maybe is in that position right now? They either know it or they don't know it, and they want to have their own relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What would you, what would be your advice? Hmm. That's an excellent question. And it probably has as many answers as there are <laughs> personalities in this world. Because I do believe uh, God custom designs each journey toward him. And I think when we're being most ourselves, we're most open. And being open meaning walls coming down and a space being made for revelation to move in, uh, a little channel, you know, carved out so God could send an ark your way. Maybe you're thinking, do I have a real faith? I'm not sure. Uh, ask, ask for revelation. Mm. That's a prayer I believe God delights to answer and it will be tailor-made for who you are as an expression of his love in this world so good that's so good thank you so much thank you so much Lori, for being with me today and just sharing your heart and thank you for just you know, for a, a, a young girl who said I don't want to be noticed I'm embarrassed of the turquoise door and to, to come, you know, to, to where you are today to be, to say, it's okay to be noticed. It's mm. okay because I'm an expression of God's love. I'm not wanting to be noticed for me. I'm wanting to be noticed for who God created me to be as an expression of his love. It's beautiful. So thank you so much, Lori. Oh, my pleasure. Oh my goodness. That just happened. I just interviewed Lori Klein and I sang to her. What? Come on, my vocals aren't the greatest, but wow, that was cool. Like, when is that ever going to happen again? I don't know. Lori, you made my podcast day. Thank you so much for saying yes when I asked. Thank you, Jesus, for opening the door and making a way for this episode to happen. And thank you for everyone who is listening. If you are listening, it is no accident. You need to hear that you are the ultimate expression of God's love. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 1.5 that before God formed you in your mother's womb, he knew you. Before you were born, he set you apart. God loves you so much that he even gave his only son to give you an abundant life. John 10, 10 tells us Jesus came that we may have an abundant life today, not tomorrow, but today. So has God allowed you perhaps to enter your own kind of desert, your own sort of wasteland? Then praise him like Lori encourages us to ask God what he wants from us. She had nothing. She was in despair. She wasn't praying. She wasn't singing. She said, Lord, if there's something you want from me, you better give it to me. You better tell me what that is. So ask God what he wants, what he wants from you. Ask him today and he will give you the answer just as he has done for Lori and anyone who asks him. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find it. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Are you hiding behind a door, perhaps? 
like Lori was behind that turquoise door of embarrassment? Or are you hiding behind a door of shame or guilt, fear, depression, anxiety, condemnation? Well, God can close those doors and open brand new ones. You just have to ask him. He loves you. Live as an expression of his love because you are the expression of his love. Everything we have mentioned in today's show will be in the show notes. Please check out the notes. I am adding a lot of links of people around the world who have covered Lori's song so you can catch but a glimpse of God's love through his people, his ultimate expression of love. Until next time, friends, peace, blessings, and God's love.